What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Welcome back, my friends. So excited to be here with you on this beautiful week in May. May happens to also be Celiac Disease Awareness Month. And to honor and respect that, I have brought on a really special guest to talk to you all about celiac disease, what it means to be celiac positive, what it means to be gluten sensitive, and all of the amazing resources that are valuable to those who are finding themselves along that journey or caring for others who are. Jenny Levine Fink is with us today. She is the founder of Good For You Gluten Free and a tireless advocate and educator for the gluten-free community. Her website receives more than 1 million visits each year. That website is goodforyouglutenfree.com. It will also be in the show notes, of course. Jenny is an IIN certified integrative nutrition coach specializing in helping people manage celiac disease and gluten sensitivity. She lives near Denver, Colorado with her husband and their two children. I had a really great conversation with Jenny. I'm excited to bring it to you here and I think it will really provide some insights into the world of celiac disease. Here we go. All right, so excited today to be with Jenny Levine Fink. I am really thrilled to cover this topic in more detail. I was just mentioning to her that we have definitely covered nutrition in more sort of large sweeping concepts and diving a little bit deeper into some ideas like probiotics and plant-based nutrition, but we haven't covered celiac and Jenny has some really great experience, insights, and education to share with us today. So thank you for being with us, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So happy to have you. So as we always do, we start with the question, what does true wellness mean to you? Oh, such a great question. I, I think that what I love about that question is you ask, what does it mean to you? And that is truly the heart of it is it's so personal. It's individual to each person. And I think that wellness to me is really being in touch with my body and how my body feels when I eat certain things, do certain things. And I think that is truly wellness is when you are completely in touch with what is going on in your body and then you're doing something about it, obviously. <laughs> yes. Love that. Absolutely. And that's, that's what I've really loved about I don't even know how many times I've asked that now in mind. This is like episode 147, maybe. So uh, well over a hundred times I've asked that and it is, it is. So there's some threads that continue to be parallel between people, but there's also just a great variety of responses that indicate and suggest there's is such a personal um, connection with wellness. So yes, thank you so much for that. All right, let's dive into your background. So tell the folks listening a little bit about you and why celiac has become your sort of life's passion. <laughs> and then we'll dive more into the actual condition itself. I like to tell people that I made my mess my mission. And I think a lot of people do that. <laughs> and really, celiac disease was my mess. I was diagnosed uh, about nine years ago. And you don't, realize how much this disorder affects every 
piece of your life and really turns your life upside down. And when you have celiac disease, you can't eat gluten. And it sounds easy to just go order a gluten-free meal or buy a gluten-free product, but it is not easy at all. And um, so anyway, that's how I got started is that I was diagnosed with celiac disease and I just started to really wonder what was going on in my body. And I started to ask questions and I started to realize even eating gluten-free wasn't really healing my body. I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. And it took me a long time to realize like, wait a second, my body's broken. My body's broken on the inside just because I can't see that I have this big old cut on my small intestine doesn't mean it's not there. And so this whole process of having celiac disease, asking so many questions, still not feeling well and not understanding what was going on in my body led me down this whole path of, you know, reading all these books and devouring blogs and websites. And I even enrolled in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to just learn more about nutrition. And what I like to say, like, finally wake up. I was, I think I was definitely asleep at the wheel when it came to my health and what I was eating. I would just eat whatever I wanted without even batting an eye. And I was definitely asleep at the wheel. And then of course you get sick and suddenly have to wake up. It was sort of a forced reckoning, but a good one, a great wake up call. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I have read your story and we will, we'll dive into some of these important pieces. And, you know, I think back to when uh, my son was diagnosed with food allergies and we went from eating whatever we wanted. Right. I mean, and I, right. I, I understand that that's kind of where you were is like, wait, now I have to think about my food and I already have to eat three times. Like that's a lot of thinking. <laughs> and, um, that's a lot of, and for me cross-referencing, cause it was mo- a multitude of allergies. So I, I, um, have some insight into the world of being attentive to food, but not specifically with celiac. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in so that you can educate all of us a little bit more. There's a lot of myths I know. So we'll dive into all of this, but let's just get started with just the 101. So let's just very foundationally talk about what celiac is from just like a physiologic um, standpoint and what your like clinical symptoms were. Right. Okay. So celiac disease is classified as an autoimmune disease. And I think you've probably, you and your audience probably know a little bit about what autoimmune diseases are, but it's the immune system getting confused and mistakenly attacking healthy tissue. And the trigger for that autoimmune attack or that immune system attack is gluten. And it's typically at the site of the small intestine where the gluten, after you eat it, it's in your stomach, it's processed into your small intestine. Once the gluten is in your small intestine, um, the small intestine is responsible for distributing nutrients throughout your body and helping you absorb those nutrients. It really feeds your, you know, every cell in your body, every organ in your body. And so when there is gluten in your system, all of a sudden your immune system goes crazy and it attacks the small intestine. And what we find in people with celiac disease is we find a visual, actually, you know, you can see it in a a biopsy, um, a visual damage done to the small intestine. You see that they have these microvilli, which are like these finger hair-like follicles surrounding the small intestine. They're flattened and damaged. You might even see kind of cuts, look, things that look like cuts all over the small intestine. And so your, your small intestine is not able to distribute nutrients from the food you're eating. And that's when you start finding all those physical symptoms. You know, people have a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms. We call those 
classic celiac symptoms, things like intense bloating, which is what I had. I had intense, intense bloating. You know, I can't button my pants bloating. <laughs> I had, um, or, and a lot of people might have things like gas, diarrhea, constipation, uh, stomach aches, all sorts of things, um, real classical symptoms, digestive symptoms related to celiac. But we're actually finding a lot of people are having non-classical symptoms, perhaps even more so sometimes. Um, those are coming in the form of different skin conditions, mouth issues like canker sores are really popular in people with celiac disease, undiagnosed celiac disease. All sorts of nutritional deficiencies. Again, if your small intestine is impaired or damaged, you're not getting nutrients to your body. So in children, it might be something like failure to grow or they're not developing properly. Um, you might see things like uh, thyroid disease, uh, you know, it affecting other organs in your body. I think um, we see a lot, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but a lot of people with osteoporosis or osteopenia, which is pre-osteoporosis, there, you know, these bone density issues are all related back to nutrition. And if you're not properly absorbing nutrients from the food you're eating, you're going to have all sorts of disorders happening inside your body. And that's just celiac disease that affects about 1%, potentially up to 3% of the population is what we're finding. And, um, and then you have this whole other world of gluten sensitivity, which we can talk about too, as well. And that, that affects more like six to 7% of the population and even greater percentage of the population, but gluten sensitivity, not an autoimmune disease, celiac disease is classified as an autoimmune. Okay, perfect. That's all great information to hear. And I'm thinking of the person listening who might think, yeah, I'm always bloated too. And I do feel like I always have GI distress. And how do I, how would I know? And how did you know to go seek a, a diagnosis or at least an initial evaluation to lead to a definitive diagnosis. Cause I believe that that requires an actual right. biopsy to definitively say, but what, what would lead you, what led you to go seek the potential that, that this is, uh, this might be happening. Right. I feel so fortunate. I actually didn't even know what celiac disease, you know, I kind of heard of it a little bit, but I didn't know what it was nine years ago when I was diagnosed. I just had this intense bloating and that's something I brought up to my doctor during my annual exam. I didn't even make a special appointment. And I was really lucky that I had a doctor who thought, let's run some tests on her. And I know she ran a whole bunch of tests. I didn't even ask. Remember I told you I was asleep at the wheel. I wasn't, <laughs> I hadn't woken up yet. And um, she said, you know, your bloating doesn't sound normal. And, you know, really all I wanted with some gas medicine, like something stronger than what I could get over the counter because it was really painful. And um, she ran some tests and one of those tests was celiac disease. I feel very fortunate because there's a lot of studies out there about the average length of time it can take for someone to be diagnosed with celiac disease from symptom to actual diagnosis. And it's four to 11 years. And so imagine having this bloating for 11 years and nobody really knows what's going on with you, it's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> and so, I and, mean, and you're right. Um, celiac disease, just to get into a little bit of how it's diagnosed, it is a blood test. It's a very simple blood test. They're looking for antibodies in your blood. It's TTT, TTG antibodies in your blood. And, and that is 
if that's positive, you pretty much have celiac disease. We find a lot of people may not have a positive blood test and then um, a doctor will do a biopsy or a visual examination and then they can also diagnose celiac that way as, as well. Definitely kudos to your doctor because with the ease in which we can take a blood test and just add that to a slew of other tests, it's amazing that that just isn't done a little bit more in these situations. And um, yeah, and you would wonder how many more people are suffering that don't know it, which is why I really wanted you to come on because if this just inspires one person who says, wow, I felt just like her and I want to go get evaluated and I want to go ask for that blood test. And now, you know, she just told you what the blood test was. Now, you know what it's called. You can go ask your doctor. And um, I think we just need to have more open conversations about, what this looks like and how easy it can be and how you can advocate for yourself and, and, and ask if, if it's not getting brought up. So, okay. That's really helpful from just kind of a, you know, physiologic, what is it, what are the symptoms and then some of the diagnostics. So, okay. You already mentioned a little bit about how it differs from a gluten sensitivity or intolerance. So, um, so kind of explain to everybody how you might still have a sensitivity to gluten, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're having this damage to your small intestine at the level that you just talked about, that there can be a difference in that. So kind of talk us through that difference. Right. And it, and it's still, um, not a hundred percent known exactly what gluten intolerance or non-celiac gluten sensitivity is. And there is more research, but there's not a lot of research and a lot, not a lot of understanding, but I like to tell people do not confuse lack of research because this is so new with lack of disorder, because I meet people every single day. I have people emailing me every single day who have been tested for celiac disease and they've had a negative test but gluten makes them feel like death <laughs> and they feel awful and they can't even imagine eating gluten. And so no doctor really knows because there's not a lot of information on how to properly diagnose uh, something like gluten sensitivity, but it's real. And it's real for those 20 million people who are suffering with gluten sensitivity here in the US. I mean, I know people who have worse symptoms than me if they accidentally eat a piece of gluten. But you're right, gluten sensitivity is not an autoimmune disorder. But what, what we're seeing, and I think, you know, I don't really know a ton about it because there's not a ton of research, is that we are seeing that people who eat gluten are having some sort of inflammatory response to gluten and inflammation can lead to disease. It can, you know, if you're <laughs> retaining water or weight in your body, it could be inflammation. It could be that you're eating something that your body is not liking and therefore it's creating inflammation in your body. There, there was this really interesting study done by uh, Dr. Fasano. He's one of the leading celiac researchers in the world. And he did a study with a team and they found that it, um, gluten causes inflammation in all humans. And a lot of us are able, a lot of people are able to eat that gluten. Yeah, their small intestine gets a little inflamed and then it heals and it repairs itself and they go on about their business and no big deal. But we're finding that for some reason, some people have this, you know, weak link in their, in their, um, in their digestive system where that, you know, constant assault of gluten is eventually leading to things like a leaky gut and, and holes in their, 
you know, layer of their small intestine. And that leaky gut is then, you know, causing inflammation throughout their bodies. And just to explain that a little bit more, um, in case people don't know, your, your small intestine has this very thin cheesecloth like layer surrounding it. And, you know, it can get inflamed and damaged from the food that you're eating, but it repairs itself. Just like your skin, the outer skin repairs itself. You get a paper cut and what, like in a day, you hardly see a cut on your finger. It, it heals so fast. So that layer is constantly damaged, but always repairing itself. But sometimes people, you know, eat foods like gluten, which is very hard to digest, or it could be something like a, the protein found in dairy or another food that their bodies just cannot properly tolerate or digest. And then that, you know, starts to leak out of that thin layer coating your small intestine. And it's those, those particles, those food proteins are getting into your blood system. And then they're wreaking havoc at maybe a weak link in your chain. So if your weak, weak link is your thyroid or your, you have eczema, your skin, that's where that inflammation is going. And so that's where gluten sensitivity is kind of that, that field is, is showing us that gluten sensitivity is creating this inflammation is creating this leaky gut and um, people are really suffering from it. And, and we are understanding more about gluten and how it works and how it's very hard to digest. And obviously the study that I mentioned where gluten is causing inflammation in all human beings who are eating it. And then, you know, some people just can't over time tolerate that assault on their gut. And that's where you, you, you can have disorders related to gluten. Yes. Thank you. That for, makes sense. <laughs> no, it absolutely makes sense. And yeah, inflammation, inflammation is such an important point to make because even though you may have a negative celiac test, um, it, you know, this ongoing inflammation without being checked on and managed can definitely result in a, a much more widespread potential for conditions. So I, I'm glad that you pointed all of that out because I want people to know that, you know, somebody who listening, who might have said, well, I've already been tested for celiac and it was negative. It still might be that your body's not super happy with, with gluten. So, okay, perfect. Before and, and we, yeah, there are just really quick, there are some tests that you can take to test for gluten sensitivity. Um, a lot of them are still not hundred percent validated, but there are some tests out there. Um, one that an author that I follow, Dr. Tom O'Brien, he talks about the wheat zoomer test. And then there's also the Cyrex array test. And you do want to talk to your doctor about getting these more advanced tests for gluten sensitivity, because if you're going to eliminate this food group, it's very, it's very hard to eliminate fully eliminate gluten from your diet. I understand the need to want to have some sort of diagnosis and not just kind of, you know, free go at it freely, right? You want to have a diagnosis. You want to know that this, this lifestyle change is worth it. Yes. Thank you so much for adding that in. That's in information that's helpful. Before we dive into sort of managing this condition and the day-to-day -day food choices, let's talk a little bit about myths. So what myths do you hear commonly about celiac and what are some of your responses to them? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I do hear a lot of things. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how serious this condition is and that, you know, really even a crumb of gluten can make someone sick. So a big myth is that, you know, you might be able to eat a little piece of gluten and be okay. And um, that's not the case. You can't necessarily 
pick off the croutons off the salad. You know, my food can't even come in contact with gluten. And so that's, that's really a, an important thing for people who are following a gluten-free diet to, to know. Um, some other myths, you know, celiac disease is not curable. Some people think it's curable. Um, you can only put celiac disease in remission. So, you know, there's no treatment options except the gluten-free diet. You can't just take a digestive enzyme that can help you break down gluten and be okay. When you eat gluten, it causes an autoimmune response regardless of what happens. Um, you can't grow out of celiac disease. That's a huge myth too. Um, when celiac disease was sort of new and coming of age. And I think in the 1920s, people were starting to realize what it was. Uh, these doctors would treat children with bananas, actually they'd feed them bananas and they'd feed them uh, these diets that didn't have gluten in it, but they didn't realize they didn't have gluten in it. And then after these children improved, they would send these children home and say, your kid's cured. But really celiac disease is a lifelong affliction. You can't necessarily cure it. You can't grow out of it. So um, let me think of some of the other myths. Um, oh, this is actually a really big myth is that people will get tested for celiac disease and they, they get a negative test, right? And what they don't realize is that just because it's negative at that point in time, doesn't mean it will always be negative. Celiac disease can turn on at any time. If you have one of the two genes, the HLA, DQ2 and DQ8, I think I got that right. And so if you have one of these genes, celiac disease can turn on at any time. And so we're actually seeing a lot of people being diagnosed in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. I even get people emailing me in their 70s getting diagnosed with celiac disease and it's just turning on for them. Those genes are expressing themselves all of a sudden and um, now they have celiac disease and they're into their 70s, but they were tested in their 40s and they didn't have celiac disease. And so just because you have a negative test doesn't mean you don't have, or you won't have celiac disease. Does that make sense? And then the reverse myth is that if you have the gene, it doesn't mean you'll ever get celiac disease. About 25 to 30% of the population carries one of the genes for celiac disease, but only about 1%, potentially up to 3% of the population will go on to have celiac disease. So those are just some of the myths. There's probably more. I just can't think of them. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. I think those sound like they would be commonly accepted as truths when they're not. So <laughs> I, I love that you shared all of those and um, it's super helpful because we don't know all of what, what's being talked about out there. You know, once you're kind of thrust and I, I understand this because once you're kind of thrust into a world that you didn't know you're about to be thrust into, you learn a whole lot. So um, I know a whole, lot right. more about food allergies than I ever thought I wanted to. So I, I get it completely. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about navigating this. So for somebody maybe who is listening, who was newly diagnosed or even going back to when you were newly diagnosed, how is is um, sort of that initial understanding and then navigation. So what, you know, what are some of the like first immediate basic steps somebody should take? And then we'll kind of go into now more for you, you know, like, what do you do at restaurants and, you know, that kind of thing. But what, what are some of the initial adjustments that, that were necessary for you and that you recommend for others? So you mean it's like when you're diagnosed with celiac disease, what are some of the things that you need to do? Yeah. So like just okay. from now understanding how to read a label and, right. uh, you know, taking an evaluation of your pantry, which is probably covered in. <laughs> right. 
Right. We can all evaluate what's in our pantry, right? Well, so I think you hit the nail on the head. Like the first thing you have to do is really get gluten out of your life. You have to, you know, do a pantry audit, a kitchen audit, and you have to really understand how to read food labels, which can be really hard. And I do have some um, information on my website that people can use to help identify hidden names of gluten because gluten is not just wheat, barley, rye, and spelt. Those are the you know, the big four names, but wheat goes by so many names and people, you know, who knows if there's wheat in things like MSG, right? And it might contain wheat and um, beer contains wheat and licorice contains gluten. And so it's kind of hidden in a lot of these products that don't just look like a piece of bread or don't go by the name wheat, I guess you could say. Um, One of the big ones is yeast extract. I mean, yeast should be gluten-free, but yeast extract is made from spent brewer's yeast and brewer's yeast comes from, is is a byproduct of the brewing process and beer and beer contains barley and and wheat and all these kind of ingredients that you can't have because they contain gluten. So you really have to understand where gluten is and, and get it out of your pantry. You may even have to get a few new appliances, like a new toaster oven or a new, uh, a new pasta colander, you know, bits of gluten can get stuck in those pasta colanders. You don't want to be sharing a colander to make your gluten-free pasta with someone who's using it for regular pasta, because there's going to be a lot of potential for cross-contamination, even inside your sponges and your kitchen towels, big sources of cross-contamination if you're sharing your home with people who eat and bake with gluten gluten ingredients. And so that that's the first challenge is trying to carve out this safe space in your home and really understanding how to shop for products and buying products and and you know potentially having to incorporate more naturally gluten-free foods in your diet like vegetables, eggs and meats and things like that that don't have an ingredient label necessarily. You know, an avocado is just an avocado. You don't have to know any other tricky ingredients there. Um, then the next step is to is to really look at healing your body. You know, once you get gluten out of your body, you want to kind of come to this realization pretty quickly. It took me years to come to this realization. So I'm giving you like the cliff notes here, but come to the realization that your body is broken. And just as just as if you had broken your leg, you would stay off your leg. You wouldn't go run a marathon. You know, you might not even go to the mailbox or walk your dog because you have to stay off that leg. You only use that leg when you have to do essential tasks, right? Until it's healed. And so you have to remember your digestive system is broken. If you have celiac disease, it's broken and it needs some time to heal. And so you may want to really look closely at what you might be doing that might continue can you continually assault your gut? And it's not just about, you know, removing the gluten and saying, Hey, I'm all better. You know, there are some healing strategies that you can do to maybe rest your digestive system, build good bacteria through probiotics in your digestive system. You know, there's different tips and things that you can do to really heal your gut and really take that next step, you know, not just getting gluten out, but putting good things back in. So I'd say those are some of the top things that you have to, you know, do once you're officially diagnosed. Really helpful. And I appreciate that sort of life hack for those who might just be early in this process. And I think that this can really be applicable to so many things, but, um, you know, when something we do only 
sort of assess, assess and identify something being broken that we can see. We don't necessarily always think of that internally, but but you're right. When we when there's something physically broken that we can see, we do. We rest and we allow it to heal, and we don't always take that approach when it's an internal um, break. So I appreciate that insight, and um, and it's always great to hear hear somebody's <laughs> wisdom because they've lived through it. So I appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about. Okay, so that's kind of some of the initial steps and um, really great points there. What about? sort of the down the road, you know, so now you're, you've got kind of the, the home life handled, you're either, everybody's either gluten-free or you are, and you're managing, you know, so the cross-contamination potential of your kitchen. Um, okay. And now it's time, you know, to go on vacation or to go to a restaurant. How do you manage, um, I guess a couple questions here, restaurant type of settings, but also the, and I had this issue with food allergies, the social consequences of both your like family relationships and friend relationships when maybe they aren't dealing with it and they don't quite understand it. So kind of talk about those two pieces. Well, the first piece of, of eating out, I'll I'll definitely talk about that. And then don't let me forget to talk about that sort of emotional burden piece as well, because I'm really passionate about it. But the the eating out is one of the hardest things that as gluten-free people have to do. Um, I actually just completed a survey. I did a survey of my community I asked a thousand people in my community to discuss their top challenges and rank their top challenge, <clears throat> excuse me, to rank their top challenges. And um, the survey, I'm actually releasing it in May for Celiac Disease Awareness Month. But I found that 85% of the gluten-free community describe eating out as extremely or very challenging. And it is the top challenge faced by the gluten-free community. And so it's a challenge that maybe gets a little easier with time, but it is never easy to eat out for so many reasons. Restaurants get it wrong. It's, you know, restaurants are a huge source of cross-contamination. Even restaurants that have gluten-friendly or whatever they call it kind of menus, they don't always say gluten-free menus, but they'll say gluten-conscious or gluten-friendly menus they get it wrong. There was a survey that was out from another company. It said one in three restaurant meals that were indicated as gluten-free actually contained gluten. And so it's no wonder that our community sees this as a top challenge and they feel completely anxious about eating out because there's such a high risk of getting gluten. And at the same time, we just want to feel normal. We just want to go to a restaurant to celebrate our dad's birthday. And we just want to be able to get a meal and feel normal. Okay. We don't have to have the pizza, but we want to be able to get a safe meal and be with family. It's not always about the food for us. It's about that social aspect and feeling like we're like the social pariah. And um, that is the biggest challenge for sure. Um, I, in that same survey that I mentioned, just going on to this emotional burden that we were kind of, it's kind of related to this eating out and desperately wanting to feel normal. Um, In my survey, I I asked about emotions and anxiety and 55% of this, my community, the gluten-free community said that they feel emotional or anxious about food. And I think it is about, because of that high treatment burden, it's, we have to always be gluten-free. We can't just 
you know, take a pill or go get a treatment. It's, it's everything we put in our mouth. You know, a friend offers me a mint or a piece of gum. I have to know, oh, is it gluten-free? I don't even know if I could take a piece of gum from my friend. We have to constantly think about it. And we have to constantly feel like we're that person, that person who's asking for the gluten-free meal, that person that people have to cater to. Uh, there was, uh, what was it? It was a article that I read about uh, if people would date someone who is gluten-free and that it was like kind of a funny survey, but it was really eye-opening to me because it was something like 40% of the people say that they would be reluctant to date someone who's gluten-free. And that same amount of people said that they see gluten-free people as high maintenance. And it's so frustrating because I need a gluten-free meal for medical reasons. I feel sick if I eat gluten, it makes me sick. And giving me this preventative, healthy, gluten-free meal should be in everyone's best interest because I feel better. I don't, you know, get other diseases or clog up my doctor's office with visits because I'm constantly feeling sick. I'm very proactive in my health and, and eating in a way that is good for me, that is healthy for me, yet I'm seen as high maintenance. So it's, there's really this weird, <laughs> this weird vibe going on in the head of someone who's gluten-free is that we know we need to eat gluten-free to be healthy, but at the same time, people see this as annoying in some ways. And it's, it's very hard to deal with, especially when eating out, especially when traveling. Wow. Those are some really interesting stats. And I, I would have had no idea. Um, I don't even know. My son is still allergic to peanuts and I don't even know. I don't know what the stats are on that. He's not in the dating world yet, but um, I, I would imagine that there is a hesitancy. People are ha have a hesitancy like, oh, now we got to think about our food. Yeah, I'm out. And I, that's interesting because yeah, you do end up probably eating a whole lot healthier, eating a whole lot more whole foods and, um, which I think is fantastic. Um, but, but yeah, I can imagine that burden is high. Um, I've dealt with that with my, my son and just others not understanding it and trying to navigate, you know, restaurant industries that, you know, there's some are super, super attentive and have it right, but the vast majority just don't take the precautions or don't understand. And so there's just a lack of awareness and understanding. And um, so, yeah, I really appreciate the work that you do to continue to increase awareness. And, um, you know, a lot of the, I know a lot of the grocery stores are, are pretty good at even having some of them having full sections that are gluten-free or at least having labels um, in addition to the, to the labels on the containers or boxes, having their own labels is just kind of reminders. So I think that probably it's a little bit better as it is for, for the allergy world too, but um, yeah, still so much, so much headway right. to, to make. As we kind of wrap up, I would love for people, I know that you have shared a whole lot and that you share even a whole lot more with your community. So share a little bit about, um, you know, your blog, your information online and where people can find all of that. Right. So I am, uh, my website is goodforyouglutenfree.com. I know that's a mouthful, but good for you and then glutenfree.com. And I have, like you said, all sorts of information about living with celiac disease gluten sensitivity and other gluten related disorders. I have a lot of recipes. Um, if you'd like to download, uh, I have a, a, like a one pager that has all these different names that gluten goes by. Like I said, it's not just wheat, barley, and rye. Um, so you can go to cheat sheet.com 
goodforyouglutenfree.com and download that for free. And that's just some of the resources that I offer at, at my, on my website. Um, I'm also really active on Instagram. I have a, a community, we a very chatty community. And so come on, find me on Instagram as well. I'm at Good For You Gluten Free. And, um, you know, I share new product finds, new recipes, fun things I'm up to, restaurants that I'm finding or travels that I'm taking. So it's a great place to connect with other gluten-free people and get some tips on cool products and things like that. And then I, I also have my book. It's called Dear Gluten, It's Not Me, It's You. I released it at the end of 2020 in the middle of our pandemic. Um, but it's, it's a survival guide to surviving without gluten and breaking up with gluten. And so I talk about how this journey to break up with gluten isn't just about getting that gluten out of your life, which is a big part of the journey, but it's also how to move on and how to deal with the emotional aspects and the physical aspects of breaking up with gluten. And I also share stories from famous people who have uh, gluten disorders, celiac disease, including like a NASCAR driver and a former Miss America. And so you can read their stories of how they broke up with gluten as well in, in my book. So fantastic, Jenny. Wow. In the time span that you have been diagnosed and started dealing with this, you've really put a whole lot of goodness out there to help others. And I, I love that. I always love when people turn, when I would just interviewed a guest who said I turned lemons and lemonade and that's exactly what you're doing. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing and I appreciate all that you shared with us today. Oh, well, thank you. And I appreciate your work too. This is important work. And we, you know, we have to get the word out that, that these are serious disorders that people are dealing with. And hopefully we can get a little more sympathy, empathy, and understanding for this industry. So thank you. I appreciate this platform. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenny, for coming on today and sharing your amazing insights, knowledge, skills, and expertise around celiac disease and gluten sensitivity. If you are listening and want to know more about how to work with Jenny, you can go to the links that I have shared in the show notes. If you are listening and want to work with me more one-on-one, -on -one, you are welcome to join me at claudiacometta.com. That is now my overall website to give you all of the ways to work with me. And I would love to connect with you there. There's even a free guided meditation you can do right on the website. So if you're looking for a stress reliever, it's right there for you. I also have some really great guided meditation classes that are virtual three times a week. And I will have that link in the show notes as well. Lots of great ways to work together and collaborate. Here's to minding our wellness together. I will see you here again next time.